Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 14th edition of the Monday check-in, also known as the Damon is wearing his glasses and his computer screen reflects in them terribly, and it ruins everything on the YouTube video edition of the, well, not maybe not everything, but... I, I wouldn't say ruins. <laughs> enhances? I, I wouldn't say enhances either. Oh. Um, <laughs> is there? It's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> uh, addition. Yeah, go ahead. The good news is it's the Monday check-in on Monday, which we haven't done in a bit. <laughs> That's true. We have been out of practice for a little while. So, and I wasn't even here last week. So, and Damon doesn't know this, but my Monday check-in guests were much cuter than Damon last week. So there. Well, I mean, you know, uh, when we were on our go on surf trip, we spent a lot of time talking about perspective, right? Uh, it's just kind of all about how you look at things. So. And see, I, I disagree. I think objectively speaking, any person would take a look at last week's Monday check-in and compare it to this week's and say, Greg's guests last week were much cuter. Well, I guess then if folks, if folks hadn't watched uh, last week's, they'll just have to go back and take a look and then, and then send Greg an email about it. And decide for yourselves uh, that in <laughs> fact, my, you haven't even asked who my guests were yet, Damon. I know who they were. Oh, you do? I got the email. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and you're still arguing the point? <laughs> I'm just saying perspective, you know? It's, uh, everybody looks at things differently. I, I think even your wife would agree with me. I'm, uh, I'm talking about myself. <laughs> I'm speaking from my own place of hubris and pride. <laughs> And with that, why don't we open with a word of prayer? Because we need it, don't we? <laughs> I think you, you go ahead and give the opening prayer. I can do that. Let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for uh, this Monday check-in. We thank you that Damon and the Go and Serve team made it back safely. And for the transformational week that they had as they were serving in Biloxi last week. We thank you as well for the special guests who joined us last week and not only their cuteness, but we thank you for their insight and what they shared. We ask that your presence be known this week during the Monday check-in. May your spirit move among us, give us wisdom to see how you may be speaking to us and give us courage to go out in the world and act upon what it is that we learn from your holy word and from the children's literature that we're studying this week. Above all, Lord, we give you thanks for your love, that love which surrounds us at all times and that love which we feel through love of one another. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So the Monday check-in, for those who may not know, is a brief little mini Bible study and kind of preview of the upcoming Sunday. And we are in the midst of a children's literature sermon series where we take a, a children's story, maybe well-known, maybe not, and sort of hold it side by side with some scripture lessons and sort of... Um, talk about what things that we can learn from these sorts of things and how these two sources may interact with one another and, and support one another and that sort of thing. So, and uh, speaking of pride and hubris, this week's story is The Zacks, written by Dr. Seuss, or as I was once taught, it was intended to be pronounced Seuss, uh, to rhyme with choice, Dr. Seuss. Um, and it's The Zacks, and uh, Greg has, a, it's, it's found in this, anthology by Dr. Seuss, uh, The Sneetches and Other Stories. It's on that page 
right there. It's the AXX. And uh, Greg's going to go ahead and do a little screen share and read that story for us. And then I'll read some scripture that we that we've kind of picked out. And we'll go from there. Did that come up right for you? It did, yes. And so you can see it full screen? Uh, no, it's in... It's, it's in presentation in like, mode. It's in, it yeah, matter. it's in presenter mode. Okay, let me see if I can fix that. Get it going nonstop. I'm going to try again. Okay, there we go. Now it's working? Well, yeah, so far. There it is. Yep. The magic of technology. All right. And this is The Zacks by Dr. Seuss in the anthology, The Sneetches and Other Stories, published by Random House, New York. Here we go. One day, making tracks in the prairie of Prax, came a north-going Zacks and a south-going Zacks. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped. There they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zach said. I say, you are blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zach, and I always go north. Get out of my way now, and let me go forth. Who's in whose way, snapped the south-going Zax. I always go south, making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move, and let me go south in my south-going groove. Then the north-going Zax puffed his chest up with pride. I never, he said, take a step to one side, and I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the South Going Zacks, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years, for I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in South Going School. Never budge, that's my rule. Never budge in the least. Not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging. I can and I will. If it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through. And they built it right over those two stubborn Zacks and left them there, standing, unbudged in their tracks. And that's it. And that's the story of the north-going and south-going Zacks. And currently, we have this uh, paired with a story from Second Kings chapter 5. Um, that reads sort of something like this. Naaman, N-A-A-M-A-N, for those spelling along at home, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, 
suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then. And I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that, I, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Fapar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached those brave souls and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. That's where that story ends as well. So. Greg, what do I got? Damon, what do you got? <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've read this story a few times. Um, haven't probably in a little bit. Uh, one of the things that struck me was the, the role of clothing, right? That, uh, that the King Aram sent 10 sets of garments that the King of Israel tore his clothes. And when Elijah heard that he tore his clothes, uh, he sent a message to the king, and I just hadn't noticed that detail before. I don't know that that has any relevance to uh, the Zacks or uh, to what you're going to talk about, but it was just something that jumped out at me in rereading the story from Second Kings. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, the king of Israel tears his clothes as a sign of grieving, right? Because right. he looks at this and he thinks that this, um, the commander of this army that has, uh, you know, they've they've just took over some land, we were told at the start of the story, right? Um, is now he's trying to pick a fight, right? He's it's setting him up for failure, right? Yeah, yeah, he's saying, well, I asked you to do this and you didn't do it. it and so now we're coming and you're gonna suffer the consequences, right? So he, he tears, now he tears his clothes as a sign of, a sign of sort of a grieving kind of a thing, right? Um, yeah. So, so we have this scripture in here based on a suggestion from Kylie, um, who 
you know, the north going Zacks and the south going Zacks are at the very least prideful, um, or I guess at the very least stubborn. Uh, mm -hmm. And probably that stubbornness stems from some sort of pride, right? That, that the, they've, they've learned some sort of principle and they're going to adhere to that principle regardless of what the situation may actually call for <laughs> and, and dictate. Um, and seeing, the, seeing a connection to Naaman when Naaman is offered a, a cleansing or a healing, um, all he almost misses out on it because of his own sense of pride, his own sense of arrogance that I thought, of, I thought there'd be some for me, for a man of my importance, right, who came with a letter from my ruler and these gifts, the silver, the gold, all, you know, the sets of clothing, surely I'd get to see that the prophet himself. Right. The prophet would at least come out and greet me and show me some honor and respect, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, I could, I could wash anywhere, <laughs> couldn't I? Um, why'd I come all this way and do all this stuff if I'm not going to be treated the way that I think that I deserve to be treated. Um, and that stubbornness almost uh, keeps them from, from receiving the blessing. Right? Um, yeah. And go ahead. There, there's two um, non-traditional heroes in this story that I really like. Um, one of them is uh, the, the, the servants uh, who had been captured as a slave from Israel, right? Mm -hmm. And she's the one who says, hey, um, he can help. And then, uh, and, then, and then again, we have uh, Naaman's servants who very boldly approach him and say, if the prophet had command you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? How hard would it be for you to just go jump in the river and see if it helps? But uh, knowing Naaman's uh, ego and uh, his status, that's a pretty bold statement for a servant to make to their, uh, to their master. And so you have these two really stunning stories of um, non-traditional heroes as well. The, the, the ones who can check their egos at the door partially because of their social status, but also uh, to stand up and say, um, yeah, I, I think that's a neat detail in the story as well. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and it, it, they, both stories make me think of kind of the times when we, we kind of get stuck on ourselves. Um, and um, Maybe we said because we maybe miss out on things because we feel that we were slighted in some way, or we feel that uh, well, I I would have done it differently. I wouldn't have uh, done that, and so I'm just not gonna go and participate, or or whatever the case may be. Um, it makes me think of a couple of other um, biblical narratives as well. It it kind of makes me think of the one of the gospels, a, a, a rich person asked Jesus what he needs to do to inherit uh, eternal life or enter the kingdom of God, one of the two. 
and and Jesus says, uh, "What's in this? Like, what's in the law? How do you read it?" And so, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, and Jesus says, "Yep, that's great." And there's one other thing: uh, you need to sell your possessions and come and follow me. And then the rich man, in my mind, the rich man does like the Charlie Brown sad, like hangs his head and like and slowly shuffles away. Um, from there, that sort of same that gives me kind of this sense of maybe a little stuck on himself uh, in that moment and not really wanting to do that. Um, it makes me think also of some of the stories in in the Acts of the Apostles of the debate and discussion between Peter and Paul about who and, gets to sit at Jesus' right hand. Uh, partly that, and also like. Um, who's going to do what mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Paul, you know, Paul has this perspective that, okay, now the covenant is opened to Gentiles to be included in the covenant. And Peter's not as sure about that. And they sort of bump heads about just what exactly does, does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean in terms of the covenant and and who can be in and who can be out. And um, they both have come from Paul eventually. Peter eventually has a conversion experience about it. Um, but but there's that sort of same sense of, it's hard to sometimes I think sort out like what is healthy debate and arguing and what is just arguing for the sake of arguing. Um, neither one of these Zacks are really listening to each other. Um, they're just insisting that they're right <laughs> all the time. Um, yeah. 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 There's an interesting, there, there's an interesting interplay. And, and you, at the beginning of our, our conversation, you, you said stubbornness and pride. And I think those two are kissing cousins, right? I think rarely is someone stubborn uh, outside of pridefulness. Uh, and so you're right. I think uh, if you enter into a conversation carrying either stubbornness or pride or both, um, you're not seeking to understand the other. You're simply seeking to dig your heels in and have your own way and perhaps convince other people of your way along the way. But there's no desire to actually have hear someone else and perhaps have a change of heart. Um, and imagine if Naaman had not had the, the brief moment of clarity to have the humility to listen to his own servants, one, to overcome his anger that he was slighted that Elisha didn't come out and greet him, and two, to overcome the instructions of go wash in the Jordan. Um, if he had held on to his stubbornness and his pride, uh, he likely would have died of leprosy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's a, there's, a, there's a great moral lesson. And the same is true. I mean, we think about you know, you talked about these other examples in the scriptures of the rich man and Peter and Paul debating, even Paul's own conversion experience. It took a lot for God to get through Paul's stubbornness and pride to help him see and understand the role of Jesus as Messiah. But what's great is that once that happened, once Paul had that conversion, um, he had an openness. He, he abandoned his stubbornness and pride and had an openness to see that 
that Jesus came for all. And it's ironic that Paul's the one arguing on behalf of the Gentiles <laughs> against Peter when prior to Paul's conversion experience, Paul was the one persecuting folks uh, who would become Jesus followers. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's, there's some, there's some meat there that you could uh, chew on a bit. Yeah. It also kind of makes me think about sometimes um, the ways that our religious convictions or our faith convictions might prevent us from engaging with the world around us. Uh, it makes me think of the story of the, the righteous neighbor or the good Samaritan um, and, and the Pharisee and the Sadducee pass by on the other side. Um, maybe perhaps and because they're concerned about uh, if they come into contact with blood, then maybe they make themselves impure and they won't be able to carry out their kind of more priestly functions in the, in the temple or in the synagogue. Um, and, and I think, and sometimes our religious convictions can, yeah, can kind of keep us from, yeah, interacting with what's going going on around us and being in, in connection with those uh, things and people also. Um, yeah, I think if our religious traditions keep us from being in relationship with our neighbors, with others, with strangers, uh, we have to look long and hard at those religious traditions uh, because they're probably not what Jesus would have intended for us. And they may be dearly held and beloved, uh, but if, if they serve as a barrier from being able to be in a relationship with other people to, to share the love and light of Christ, we have to rethink some of those religious traditions. Just like, as you mentioned in scripture, the Jewish ceremonial law could have been a barrier from people actually living out the law of love. Um, and, and we would need to think, are, are there religious traditions that we hold on to, religious practices that we hold on to that are are keeping us from actually living out the true heart of our religion, which is this call to love God and love neighbor. And if so, we, you know, um, and that's hard. But I, I think even, you know, doing an outdoor worship service in the park every Sunday, I don't know if that would have been done at this church 50 years ago. Maybe it would have. Maybe maybe they did do outdoor worship services on a regular basis. But I just think uh, we, we've started doing that this summer. And and we've stripped away a lot of um, the, the markings and the trappings of a religious service, right? We don't have a communion table and a pulpit. And there are some Presbyterians who would be distraught that we're holding a Presbyterian worship service without a communion table and a pulpit, these signs and symbols of our religion. Uh, and I would argue that if we're able to bring people into relationship with one another and closer to God, then uh, the presence of a pulpit or a communion table in our summer worship service in the park, even if we're doing it every week, week in and week out, uh, is less important than the fact that we're building relationships through that service, something along those lines. Yeah, you really, you're supposed to have a pulpit too? Yeah, the Reformed tradition suggests that the pulpit, the scriptures, and the communion table are supposed to be present at every worship service. Um, the scriptures representing God's word written, the pulpit representing God's word proclaimed, 
and then the communion table representing God's word incarnate or God's word, um, you know, the signs and symbols of grace. Uh, so those are theoretically supposed to be elements present at every Presbyterian or Reformed worship service. Now, this may sound uh, facetious, but I don't necessarily mean it in that way. Couldn't you, like, couldn't you just take a stand out there and say that's the pulpit? You could. You could. Yeah. Okay. But I, I don't know. Like what, what makes a pulpit a pulpit? And I'm getting right. a, a field here, but... Yeah, no, 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 you're not wrong. And so taking a like any sort of stand upon which I can stand behind and preach God's word, but that's even based in this historic notion that the the, the sermon has to be delivered from behind a pulpit, right? Um, which, which is what John Calvin said. Uh, but today, if I can walk around a park and uh, engage with people, including children and strangers, uh, I, I think that in that sense, I'm living out my religion better than I would be if I insisted on dragging a pulpit over from the church and standing behind the pulpit for our worship service in the park, yeah. right? Yeah, or, or letting the absence of a pulpit prevent us from doing that service. Exactly, yeah. exactly, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, one of the things that I just jotted down was like, do our religious convictions... If I have, I have religious convictions, I have faith convictions, I have th these are things that I think are really important about the faith and how the faith is lived or believed or carried out or whatever the case may be, right? If I, ha if I have those, does, like, does having those make me think differently of those who don't share those same convictions? Um, and I think that's one of the kind of fundamental questions about this the story in particular, like the North going Zach's is, is convicted that North going is, that is the way that is, that is the way to go. Um, and I think thinks less of anyone who doesn't do the same. Right. Uh, and the South going the same way. Now, if they were to figure out a way to get past each other, uh, they'd end up in the same spot again, <laughs> but, uh, but at any rate, they're just different ways to get to the same place. Um, and I also, I have questions about the South going school. I assume the North going folks have a school as well. My question is who built the school and what does it look like? Like how do you build a building if you can only move in one direction, right? <laughs> so either it took them a really long time to do it or they had to hire somebody else to build their school for them. Well, and yeah, in which case, like they they would be making use of folks who didn't hold their same convictions, and then they're sort of yeah, and anyway. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, but I mean, almost all the elements are there in this very short Dr. Seuss story, right? Well, I learned these things; these are my convictions because that's what I was taught, and I'm going yeah. to hold by these. I'm not going to budge, right? Because that's what I was taught, and. It, if, if we still did church the same way it was done a hundred years ago and we didn't budge on those convictions, I think our church would be a lot smaller. And I'm not saying we give up the core gospel message of what we're called to preach and live, but I think we can look around. And, and so then going over to the park to do a worship service every Sunday and not dragging a pulpit and a communion table with us, that's okay. That's okay because we are, we are focusing on 
the core of our religion, which is to love God and love neighbor. And so if we, if we, if we have to sidestep some of these trappings uh, that we normally define as reformed worship uh, in order to more faithfully live out our religion, we can, we can do that. Um, but it's, 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 it's tough. I mean, it's, 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 it's tough and you, you really need to think long and hard about it. And I often talk about how does this fit into the larger narrative arc of the Bible and how does this fit into the larger narrative arc of Jesus um, words and life and ministry and death and resurrection. So rather than zooming in on one scripture, we need to zoom out and see where does that, where does that scripture fit in a larger narrative arc of the Bible and larger narrative arc of the Bible is love God and love neighbor. And so then when we get down to individual actions, we, we have to hold it up to that standard instead of getting tied up in tradition or religiosity or orthodoxy in that way. Yeah, it makes me think of the, uh, each generation must make the faith their own. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think that's also true of each person. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that each person must make the faith their own. Um, and then truth and beauty and grace, I think, oftentimes arises out of those different um, perspectives and interpretations being shared with one another and discussed and, uh, and learned from, I suppose. Yeah. So what well, do you think, I, th- I think it'll preach. preach. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I guess we'll find out on Sunday. We're looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, should we switch gears? Let's do that. Got some uh, announcements. And uh, I've mentioned a couple times our worship in the park, just to let you all know. Uh, weather permitting, we will have an outdoor worship service in Alexander Park uh, every Sunday this summer at 9.30 a.m. It's a slightly uh, revised liturgy. We kind of cut it down and try to do it in about 45 minutes. Would you say uh, abridged? Abridged, abbreviated, perhaps. Uh, it worked really well on Sunday until I realized that our church bell tower is uh, time to chime right at 10.15, which is like that's the alarm clock for service needs to be over in the park, <laughs> except I was in the middle of singing The Church is Not a Building. And I'm <laughs> not a strong enough singer like you are, Damon, to stay in tune when there's bells chiming in my ears. So I'm really glad it wasn't recorded because I think I went way off pitch and out of tune because the bells threw off my The Church is Not a Building. So heads up, if you want to sing that song, get her done by 10 14 because at 10 15 <laughs> those bells start a chiming um and it's it's the peal of bells it's not like a song yeah. it's the peal with calling people to worship for the 10 30 service anyways uh so yeah 9 30 service in the park masks are optional and we are doing congregational hymn singing at that service and then 10 30 service in the sanctuary uh our traditional service we are still requiring face masks and social distancing that service is also uh, live streamed on Facebook Live as well as uh, broadcast live on the radio. So every Sunday this summer, two opportunities to join us for worship, either 9.30 or 10.30. We hope you can do that. And this Sunday is this Sunday is also Father's Day? Yes. So, and we will be collecting a special offering. This is a thing that the PW does, is that correct? Correct. And so the Presbyterian women are inviting folks to give a gift in honor of their fathers. Uh, the ministry they've chosen 
is Living Waters for the World, a Presbyterian water organization that seeks to get safe drinking water to people in developing countries by helping local churches in developing countries build small-scale water purification projects for people. I happen to serve on the board of Living Waters for the World, um, the Guatemala board, uh, where we have a network of over 250 water systems that are helping to provide safe drinking water to folks. So you can uh, drop off your Father's Day offering at the church, make the checks out to Presbyterian women, uh, you can put it in the tithes box or bring it to church on Sunday and it will be collected and uh, we will send a check on to Living Waters for the World in honor of our fathers. Very nice. So that's kind of mostly the Sunday stuff. Uh, we've got the Children's Lit uh, sermon series going on currently. Uh, later in the summer, we'll have the Summer Sermon Song series. Uh, so if folks have uh, secular songs that they'd like us uh, to squeeze the juice out of, as it were, uh, they can send us send those songs our way, and, and we'll go from there. Uh, and that's kind of the Sunday stuff. This coming Saturday, correct, uh, will correct. be the third Saturday. I think it's as early as a Saturday can be, a third Saturday can be in a month. And... Um, or seems awfully early if it's not the earliest, but at any rate, close um, for sure. Yeah, so uh, we will have United Harvest at uh, the Peace Center, and I assume that folks can sign up online to volunteer. Correct. Go to the United Harvest Facebook page and sign up to volunteer for the United Harvest food distribution. If you don't get on Facebook, call our church office. We'll get you signed up uh, either way. We're probably going to need some extra volunteers this uh, month because Hastings College is out. As our Hastings Public Schools, we often get teams of volunteers from both the college as well as from the schools. And so uh, if you have some time on Saturday, we would love to see you and have your help in distributing food to our hungry neighbors. Anything else for the? I think we've covered it all. Day. All right. Uh, then let's uh, let's have a prayer. Loving and gracious God, thank you for your presence, uh, your presence, your truth, your wisdom that is made known um, through conversation, through dialogue, through questions and wondering, through statements of faith, uh, statements of purpose, and also statements of doubt, statements of uncertainty. As we continue, oh God, to try to sort out just what it means to be followers of Jesus the Christ, ask that your presence might be with us, that we might be kind and compassionate and forgiving of one another, and that in equal measure, we might be inspired by your truth. In your loving name, we pray. Amen. Amen. With all of those things said and done, until next time, toodaloo.